0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Growing Design. Today, we're speaking with Adi Johnson. Um, She is a designer based out of Richmond, Virginia. And um, the reason I uh, got in touch with Adi was because I really liked her work on the branding of October Audio Pedals. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, we're going to get into that. But um, this is going to be a super, very fun episode. So, um, Adi, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Cool. Um, All right. So can you please tell us what is it that you do currently?
1: For sure. Um, I'm a product designer at CarMax. Um, So I help design user interfaces and products to help people sell their car. And I also have a sort of a side business um, that is my full-time business as a graphic design and branding identity business. But um, I actually used to work as a graphic designer in agencies. Got my start um, working in a couple of in-house um, teams, and then started my own business. And then when the pandemic hit, I went back to um, full-time. Um, actually, went to QA. So that was like kind of my career switch. But then I went back into product. Um, eventually, afterwards, I just couldn't get couldn't um, get away from it. I should say. <laughs>
0: Did you get to apply a little bit of your um, branding exper- experience into your current job?
1: I do, yes, it's awesome. So we definitely had to use like brand guidelines and brand identity in the current product world. Um, and. There's definitely a great. We're transitioning design systems right now, um, so that's been super fun and interesting to see, like professional visual designers work at their best, and then looking at how they transition an old design system into a new one in Figma.
0: Wow, that sounds a little stressing. Um, is it? Is it a big design system?
1: I would say it's a pretty big design system, but the beauty of this new one that we're working on is that it's super flexible, and that there's um you can kind of create there's kind of a slot design system if you've heard of that. It's of like um, certain components or molecules are very customizable per each team and each product team. Since we have such a huge company and a huge like product org, that it's important to be able to customize each of those components to the needs of the business.
0: Right. So um you have certain parts of your design system are more catered to certain teams within the organization.
1: Exactly. So if you're, for example, buying a car versus selling a car, this might be slightly different um, user use cases. So we would have different design systems for each one. Um again, they would still be all based around that like foundational design system, but there would be specific differences between the two um, in that case.
0: How many designers do you work with?
1: As a product team, I would say probably 60 people, designers, which is one of the biggest ones I've ever worked at before, which is super awesome. I've, in my experience, I've been on like um, generally smaller teams, like in startups or like um, mid-level companies where there's been maybe like, like between one and 20 designers on a team, but it's really, really cool having such a a broad um, range of experience between people and then different product design um, kind of job capabilities and differences.
0: Yeah, I mean, 60 designers, it's a lot. Um, Is everyone sort of like working in the same office or is it a little bit distributed?
1: So um, CarMax is awesome because they let you come in if you'd like to come in, if you are local, but we do work distributed across the nation in America. So um, we have offices in Richmond, Virginia, Texas, um, and those are some of our home offices, but then we have lots of other company, like organizations across that.
0: That sounds fun. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Cool. So How did you end up doing what you're doing today? Like kind of like taking a step back, like what has been your sort of like trajectory so far?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say I started out um, in design school. So I actually went to school for graphic design and I got a certificate in product design. Um, And then I started working at a couple of different agencies in the area, just like graphic design, very branding specific or print design, And um, then I sort of actually started my own business through that, which is sort of how I got into like brand design and worked on a couple of different clients for numerous like types of guitar pedal companies and uh, like just museum work and some just overall startups in the area. So I love working with local startups because I can meet them in person and face. um, And that's sort of how I got into like graphic design as a whole. And then into UX specifically, I went um, from graphic design into QA, just kind of like on a fluke. I met a friend and she needed some QA help. And I had like a general specific experience with that. And then um, a couple of years later, went back to agency um, and graphic design. And then I was like, you know, I just really miss the UX part of this and like solving customer problems, not really just like, creating designs. So I wanted to kind of combine the QA and the graphic design capabilities and go back into UX, so.
0: So in the agencies where you were doing more branding and that kind of work instead of product design, like these agencies were not doing product design?
1: Exactly, it was more branding work.
0: Just I love branding work. It's super.
1: It's an excellent form of like art and design. I'd say, um, but I wanted to kind of combine them, which is what I do with my own personal business now. I can combine the branding and the like actual. Let's like look at your customer base and let's help you make those sales. Not just look pretty, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, actually, understanding what the uh, business needs, and it's not just about pretty colors. Um, what it um, what's kind of like you, your process, or I don't want to call it process because it feels like you're putting on some, some shackles, but what do you normally try to do when you're tackling or facing a new design problem? Kind of like, how do you go about it? How do you want to set yourself up to solve the problem?
1: For sure. Um, so it depends on the problem itself. I would say, like, if it's quantitative or qualitative, um, and it could be depending on if how the problem is um, like outlined. It could be actually like looking at what is the actual problem and trying to understand. Like, for example, if a customer like keeps calling in or customers keep calling into your call center and they have a specific question or issue that they keep asking multiple times, someone might think, oh well, we need to figure out like a way to, you know, enter answer that question better. But what if the problem is actually like, maybe we're not communicating something on our website, like our landing page better. So it's like, how can we, we like outline that problem? Like, how can we make sure that, that we're answering the correct problem statement? Um, and if it's not really a problem statement issue, if it's more of like a qualitative or quantitative, like, I'm not really sure what to do next, um, I would definitely like want to look at um, kind of choosing between looking at if you have like full story, for example, like looking at customers actually using your products or looking at the data like, of the database or getting like actual customer interviews would be my kind of um, initial first step
0: to solving it. And how does like change bef- um, between when you're doing like agency work versus when you're doing like um, your own business versus doing doing it at a big company? How does that like sort of like mindset changes, if, if at all?
1: Great question. Um, I would say with an agency, it's a little bit less. I wouldn't say a little bit less research heavy, but in general, it's more like you kind of like are given the problem statement and the, the brief. And then you kind of create concepts or designs based on that brief. And it's like kind of a client designer like interaction versus at my own company and at like um, a bigger company, for example, I would say for, for a product design organization, it's more about that continuous discovery, which is when you're interviewing customers every week to get those like general feedback, that general um, understanding of what, what the customers are like having problems or if there's an optimization to be made. Um, so with, I would say bigger organization product houses in my current process, it would be um, trying to understand holistically where the data is pointing um, to have like, understand like where the customers are like having most trouble, for example.
0: And do you have like a like a research team that you can go to with questions?
1: At CarMax, we don't have much of a research team. The product designer kind of owns that research, but we do have a fantastic analyst team so that they can pull certain data segments for us. And then, like, for example, I'll email, like, 50 customers a week to see if they could do an interview with me. And, like, you know, maybe three or four people will respond to me. So um, even though we don't have a research team per se, we do have a an awesome like part-time organizational like mural board of all these different like um research like templates and um kind of like a notion database essentially like all these like different instances or research techniques that you could use so it's super helpful having a big like understanding of like different kinds of research methods to use
0: Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit, I mean, I don't want to get into like proprietary methodologies or information, just like if you want to talk a a little bit about how you organize stuff in, in, in Miro, because I've never seen, like, I've seen it in Notion and I've I've done it also like in Airtable and it's always the same principle. It's like, you know, relational databases, but having it in a visual way in in Miro, like how do you manage that?
1: It's a really, really great question because I think Miro is, Inherently, a little bit difficult to organize, in my perspective, because it is such a whiteboard. Like it's kind of like this; it can get really chaotic really fast if you don't have a system. Um, Unlike in Airtable or Notion, where things can you can just create a traditional database, as you said. Like you can just create these like rows and tables. Um, So, for me, I organize by like fiscal year and then you know teamwork. Um, personal work, research, uh, stakeholder interviews, for example. And then, like, you have have to kind of create buckets for yourself depending on what you're working on. So if it's, like, design, research, development, discussions. um, Yeah. So I would say, like, deep linking is one of the best ways to keep those organized. So basically just, like, hyperlinking your URL, like, for each miro board and then being able to like link back to a singular miro um screen or like a board being able to like click on that for example but miro is really interesting and it's it is hard to organize so I don't have like the best answer for it necessarily
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: still learning that too so <laughs> yeah
0: speaking of I just um I just read this afternoon that um the head of design uh Admira or Myra just, just resign. Really? Uh, which was, yeah, because like, I, I just, I read an interview um, with him a few weeks ago and it's really amazing what, what they did, like how they took uh, the company from like 50 people to like 50 people just the design team. Um, which That's amazing. amazing. So yeah, um, yeah, that was a, a little side note, but um, I do feel I don't know. This is this is pr- probably just me, but I feel like whiteboarding sometimes works great at the start of, of something, at the beginning of something. As you kind of like get into the groove of things, you start either losing interest interest in updating it, or or you know you just don't see the point on, on updating it because you kind of like know what you're doing and maybe you take over with other tools.
1: What do you use for your knowledge management organization?
0: So, currently, uh, I'm working at a company called Sync. Um, We don't have anything beyond Notion, and I said anything beyond because um, sort of like Notion to me is usually the first layer, and this is where like everything defaults to. Um, Personally, I've gone through. Faces like I started with Evernote like ten years ago. Evernote then got super slow and clunky and hard to use, which is very sad because it was like you know the the grandfather of all the note taking apps I then, <laughs> <laughs> then i I went through like a phase of like testing different things. I tried notion like in twenty seventeen didn't really like it, tried notion again in twenty eighteen. It was very cool, but I was still not like too much into it. Um, and I ended up, I think in 2020, I ended up using Road, uh, Roam Research. And and now that's, that's what i and it's like, I'm still using it. So I think it's like, uh, what is it called? Um, the Lingby, the Lingby um, law or test, where like the longer something survives, the more likely it is to survive twice as long, something like that. So to me, that's like, it's it's proving to be a, a tool that I'm going to be using for a long time because I'm still using it after, what, three years.
1: That is awesome. I'll have to be about that because I've heard a lot about Rome as like a research knowledge management system. And I've, I've used like all those other ones, I've used Notion, AirTable, used Evernote, everything like that. And I'm always curious about the next, you know, how how to like manage tons of information and like you know how do you com- compile all of that so that you can easily access it?
0: Yeah, so we did try to implement uh, Rome uh, in in our company, but it was kind of like a lot of redundancy between that and Notion, so we ended up just sticking to Notion for now until something else comes along.
1: You know what's really interesting is that I used to have, like, all of my Notion tables and databases so, like, organized, and, like, I had, like, this crazy system to it, and now with this current company, I just use my notes app on my computer, and I just use the search, the search bar, and I tag things with certain keywords, just, like, in the, the text itself, just to search things. I was just an experiment for myself to see, like, what's the easiest, lowest friction way to take notes and then be able to access it, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm um I hear you. So the one constant through the years has always been Apple notes. Like it's just on the phone, it's on the computer, it's fast, and like it doesn't have like one of the f- first things that started annoying me about um Evernote is like they added so much stuff, it was just like bloat. And I was like, No, I just don't need all of this. I just need to write. Um and lately Nodes, I think it's one of the most difficult things to do um, with a mature product like nodes is not to cram too much into it, like resisting the urge and having a very clear uh, design strategy as to this is what the product is and this is what the product is not. And like, what are the things that are essential to the product and what are the things that are just adding noise? That's really hard to do. And I feel like Notes has has been really great at that. Like, I don't know how many years this app has been going for at least at least ten. It's probably as old as um, it's probably as old as the iPhone. And it's so good. It's still like so clean, so easy to use. I still use it every single day. Like,
1: me too. I think it's an awesome way to just get your thoughts out onto something and just be able to have that for some other time. Um, because I think, I think that like Apple notes or just like the notes app begs the question of like, what is the point of these notes? Like, how do you access them? And like, are you keeping them so that you can, are you just like taking the notes so that you can have an action upon them? Or is it, you're just keeping it for keeping its sake, you know? And I think that these, this notes like app is so simple that it allows you to, um, access them really easily in like this kind of like really like bare bones way.
0: Yeah. I like to think of these uh, things as uh, some metaphors with the, uh, or like what would be the, the analog version of, um, of these apps in the real world? And I look at notes and I think, okay, this is just a, a notebook that you make. It's a, a moleskin that you just carry around in your backpack and it's there for you to capture things quickly but it's not like your main thing, like for people who like, like um hardcore, like personal knowledge management people in the past without computers, they would have used their commonplace book. So they would go home or they would go to their office and then they'll copy whatever was in their notebook into their commonplace book. I think the commonplace book to me is, you know, the Evernote and the, and the Roams and the Notions and all of these apps. And notes is still that notebook that you carry around with you at all all times.
1: That's awesome. I totally agree with that metaphor.
0: So thinking about apps that we like, what's your favorite app right now?
1: I would say Strava, which is a biking and running, swimming, tracking app for all of your activities. And I love cycling and walking and swimming. And it's so fun being able to see your all of your activities visualized on a map. I'm just really into how they've um, got lots of different ways to show those maps and create your own routes. And just it really elevates the activity itself so that you really, really enjoy making those activities because like people can like them and share them. Um, and it really builds a community within your active space.
0: Yeah, um I feel like apps like um like Strava that are very like the social component is very important to like the to like workout and and sports apps because um yeah you kind of you have that extra motivation from from friends it's like oh you actually went out even though it was raining
1: exactly I just love that it's like a travel log of all the things you've done like like when I'm doing like a big trip I will take it my Strava and I can search my activities and see where i went and which roads we took and um and i think it's just like a beautiful way to visualize like that history and that travel
0: yeah i wonder how many designers work at straw like how, <laughs> how usability testing works that must be really interesting to watch
1: i was like i will be any research participant necessary i will help you <laughs> I will do anything, <laughs> not anything, but I, I would love to be a research participant to do those usability studies.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing about um, apps and products in general that we use all the time. It's like we would be like happy participants um, to provide feedback, like passionate feedback about the things that we love, the things that we don't love.
1: Exactly. It's like Strava and Todoist for me. Those are my two favorite like products to use. They like, just give me be so much joy to like to use. <laughs>
0: Todoist. You know, I've been I used to doist for a long time. This is the first year that I haven't been using Todoist. Um, but I'm always curious to hear about other people using Todoist because I was like the biggest fan. Like I I was that guy who who would like like provide feedback. Yes. And then I would like write <laughs> like a like a novel about about feedback.
1: So what and, made you stop using
0: it then? Um Honestly, I think I just wanted to simplify things a little bit. Um, I Last year, um, my wife and I read uh, one of Cole Newport's books. I think it was Digital Minimalism. And then we sort of tried the, like, the digital detox for a little bit. And not a lot of tools came back from that experiment. Uh, for those who haven't read the book, um, the Digital Detox, I don't know how, how he calls it, but it's basically an experiment where like for a, for a specific amount of time, you're only going to use the bare minimum things that you need. Um, for example, maybe maps because you need to get to places and everything else you'll try to use pen and paper or the, like a physical analog version of it. And after the time's up, then you reincorporate the things that you absolutely cannot live with um, but then you have like a fresh perspective on like, oh, yeah, I really miss this because it makes my life worse if I don't have it. Uh, or, oh, yeah, this app is just there. There's, I don't really need it. Like, it's just distracting me. So after that, um, I couldn't like for me, one of the essentials was. um Well, no, no, I stopped using like note taking apps. So I started using paper. That was a nightmare. That was horrible. That was like going back to the to the Middle Ages. So so I was like, okay, I need a note-taking app. Like that's just like part of me. Like my wife kind of like I think she 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 stuck with like pen and paper. And some people are, you know, pen and paper is great because it's, you know, there's no notifications, nothing distracting you. I had to go back to a to a note-taking app to organize my life. And I went to Apple Notes because it's it's been like kind of like the this common thread through all of these years. So Apple Notes has checklists, so I started doing my checklist there, and I was like, okay, I have Apple Notes with checklists, and then Todoist always has, like, um, things I know I have to do, but I keep procrastinating and, like, snoozing and, like, rescheduling. I even knew, like, all of the shortcuts to reschedule um, the stuff, so I would have this, like, baggage of stuff that would, that I knew were important but i was never gonna do and when i saw that i was like no a to-do a a checklist or a to-do list needs to be discardable like if you don't get to stuff just like throw it away it's not that important like if it it was important you would have done it and that's how kind of like to-do is started like i still had it until i think last week it was still on my dock in my in my computer and then i just removed it from my dock and i was like (sighs) uh it was like historical moment because i've been using it for so long but
1: that's super yeah. interesting um because i feel like i also used to experience that a lot with todoist where i would have like these like really big projects i would assign to myself and then like i would get too overwhelmed to even work on anything about it so then i would just keep postponing that event and then i was like okay To Todoist is not meant for like strategic planning. It's meant for just like tasks. And like, so how can I create these like tiny little tasks from this project? And then like, I guess what beauty of Todoist is for me is that it has that like real language processing where you can click, okay, I want to do this for the next day. No, it's time for tomorrow. Or you can have recurring tasks or whatever. And just using how easy it is to input that data to be able to just like create those super simple tasks but as you said like you really can't I mean if something is just not getting done it's so hard to be like oh let's keep postponing it it's like going back and asking yourself so why is this not getting done and then like adjusting your system to it so
0: yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so far I just I don't know maybe maybe I'll bring it back at some point (laughs) but so far uh, I'm very happy with um With apple notes and i went also back to um sticky notes so i have some sticky notes somewhere where i'm like um i also this is also because i i read um yeah i I basically try everything that i read on books which i don't know if that's good or bad but i read uh make time by by jake knapp and um uh john serasky and they talk about the highlight, which is not a new concept. Like a lot of people have talked about focus on one thing every day. So I started putting it on a post-it and just like put it on my on my monitor somewhere. And and that has been working great so far. I've been using it for, yeah, um, the whole of 2023. So far it's March. Oh. So, so far so good. Let's see.
1: I'll look into that. I've never heard of that before, but I'll definitely want to read that. I'm all
0: about it <laughs> It's really cool. Well, it's the same—the same guys that wrote um, uh, the sprint, the design sprint.
1: Oh, gotcha.
0: So it's, it's uh, on it's my really list. Cool. line, what's that? It's
1: on my list. I'll put it on my list now. <laughs> yeah, time. and it's, um,
0: i would recommend the physical version because it's a book like that you want to go back to, and it has some um, these uh, Sharpie sketches uh, by one of the authors, which I love. I mean, I think you would like them too. It's just like illustrations of like these cartoons with a Sharpie. That looks super cool. So I, yeah, I have it in my in my bookcase. Um, speaking of books, what, what's um what's a book or a podcast or a movie or a video or uh, an article that has inspired you recently?
1: I I would say the book "Wanting" by Luke Burgess. Um, it's about this concept called memetic desire, and the TLDR is just that it it's it's like asking about why do we have the goals that we have? And like the whole premise is that all of our goals usually are made because we want what other people want. And so it's like this like society- societally um, driven goal system that we want. Because we want what others want and we think it's what we want for ourselves. So his like thesis is like, Make sure what you want is what you really, really want for yourself and that you have um, thick desires, not thin desires. Thick desires meaning like these things that are inherently like who you are and what you truly want versus your thin desires, which are these kind of like, you know, you want wealth, fame, money, like these things that you don't really know why you want them. But it's because people in your past or in people walking towards that path, for example, want them also.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Um, yeah.
1: So let's think about, nice. you know, why, why, what are your goals like right now? And then, you know, you can analyze them by saying, okay, is this a goal that I really want for myself? Or is it because I've been conditioned all my life to want this?
0: And then we get those sort of like fake goals from just looking at other people that we think are successful.
1: Exactly. So it's... You know, it could be models or celebrities or um, even mentors that we have. There can be good and bad memetic goals um, or not not like good or bad, I should say, but goals that will be helpful to your, you know, personal development or goals that might not be as helpful.
0: Um, Right. And those that might not be helpful end up distracting you from the from the ones that truly align with what you want to do.
1: Exactly. So. It's like one of those, the classic, like, student wants to go to, you know, a really top tier school, like in the Ivy Leagues in the United States, for example. Um, and then they want to go to work on Wall Street, for example. That's a very common mimetic goal that people just, they get so conditioned in their childhood that they they get to that point at some at some time. And then they reflect and look back and they're like, I don't know why I wanted to do this in the first place. I'm so tired and burnt out from all of this but it's because of their, all of their peers wanted it at the same time.
0: Yeah, I wonder if me wanting to buy guitar pedals is a is a thick <laughs> want or or a thin one. <laughs> I want
1: to sound like Jimmy Page, so I'm going <laughs> to buy these guitar pedals that sound like a specific uh, celebrity or musician.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they're so os- obscure that um, no one no one plays them. They're just like really. Totally unknown. So, yeah, um, I just remember that I wanted to, to ask you about how you ended up working with October Audio. And um, was that when you were like working on your business full time? Like, can you tell us how that happened?
1: Exactly. So um, I was still working full time in my own graphic design branding business. And I was approached by one of my old mentors um advisor and he was starting a kind of a side business for um, these guitar pedals that he was building by hand, essentially, or like hand wiring circuits. Um, So he had built these before. He had fixed lots of guitar pedals in his like um, adulthood and his youth also. And he was looking for a brand for it. And when he came to me, the project is super awesome because I was like, I have never heard of this before. I've never heard of a guitar puddle. Um, is it okay if I do this? I, I just don't know. I don't really have experience working with this. He said, oh, yeah, of course. It'll be fine. Um, so it was a really interesting design challenge because I just had so much learning to do. And so I just started by looking at Reddit, like threads about guitar pedals. Like that's trade, like Reddit's, it's, um, just trying to understand like what this like little box was that changed the sound of a guitar. Um, and then, so I worked a lot with them to design these and then, um, learning about how they actually changed the sound of the guitar itself was like super cool.
0: That's, um. So you basically went into the project with no domain expertise.
1: Exactly. You just
0: had to, you had to learn it on the job.
1: Exactly. Well, it's funny because, you know, the founder of Fender Guitars, he doesn't play guitar at all. <laughs> so isn't that interesting? I had no idea that like Fender Guitars, apparently the, the designer never played. So I was like, yeah, this
0: like, an, hopefully, hopefully attempt to. I think I yeah I think I read something about that that he he actually didn't play the the guitar. Uh, he was just an engineer he was um he he would take a lot of like user feedback uh, and incorporate it into the product before you know people came up with like fancy usability testing and stuff. he was just like this is a product. this is a process that has been um going on for a while.
1: yes, exactly. so I think that like I definitely was inspired. Like by that, in that regard, like how can we make pedals that people want and that, you know, the pedal looks like what it sounds like was something that was kind of interesting, like revelation. I, I didn't really realize that like, you know, if you, these pedals can just sound so different that it's important to use the design in a way to help inform the user what that might
0: sound like potentially. Yeah and um I actually looked at uh I, I, I I've been thinking about getting um these pedals cuz uh I mean they sound great. Um I I was um listening to some some YouTube demos and um they're really they're very cleverly designed like the like the circuit is actually very very clever. Um and well now like apart from the fact that I know who designed the brand <laughs> but but yeah so like I read also you wrote a case study you put it on your website um, you talk about how you needed to create the system that could grow that could expand because obviously you did this project in a point in time but the company keeps growing and releasing new products into the market and somehow those new products need to keep a consistent um, visual language in order for people to like always recognize them uh, even though even though you know they came up, or they come up years after you did this work, right?
1: Exactly. So that was a big challenge for me initially with the guitar pedals because I just again I didn't have a quite of a good feel for like how these were released. Like, is it like a, like a one and done kind of situation where there's only one pedal that's released? But as I kept learning about this continuous development and continuous design, I learned that you know it's. It's a good idea to have like bodies or like families of pedals that work in a certain way that it represents the sound. So Mike, who I've worked with a lot on this, he's like the founder, one of the the co-founders. He has really helped me understand like what the pedal will sound like, the technology that will be used to kind of quote unquote power the pedal. And then I can kind of work with him to look at like, okay, what would be a good design system for this? And how can that design system kind of be flexible enough that it can grow for different types of sounds? Like, for example, we have a new phaser coming out, which um, we wanted our knobs to be able to represent what the sound would change to when you turn the knob in a certain way. And so by using like a dotted line that would get dashed more and more, the phaser could be more pronounced in a certain way. Or like, for example, game, you could use a type of pattern that would um, become, was like very simple at first, but as it turned around where the knob became more and more distorted or noisy, you could use kind of a brushstroke kind of element. So it's looking at how like certain elements can be flexible, that they can still be used in a new design system, but still look consistent from a previous design design.
0: There's a couple of things there that I that just like I find really interesting. The one thing that blows my mind is um, I don't think I've seen it in any other pedal. Is like you say how the graphic around the knob sort of like represents what the knob does. Uh, it's like a like a brilliant example of affordances. Um, it's really really great because like you said, um, the phaser uh, as it gets after you increase the rate is obviously changing the sound wave and it's making it sort of like more choppy so that's what you see in the line and then it kind of like as you move the knob you you are getting like a visual feedback of what you're hearing which is like a very powerful sort of like input um that probably people don't really pay too much attention to but but it's just really really like just for for context for people who are not into pedals and audio Usually these things are just numbers that go from zero to 10. Sometimes they're not even numbers. Sometimes they're just like dials or lines. But uh, what what you did in this, in this, the science, is like you actually represent what's happening with the, with the audio signal, which is really, really great. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the, for example, there's one, they have weird names, by the way. Uh, so I don't know if I... I can pronounce them correctly, but there's one, I think it's called the number. Oh yeah. November. The November. Yeah. So that one, for example, it caught my attention that it has an LED in the middle of the name. So like the, there's two words. It's no, uh, November gain. Oh, I get it now. November rain, November gain. Um, and the LEDs in the middle, like are those kind of decisions sort of like random where they... Was the LED there because the construction demanded that it was there? Or was it like a more of like a creative decision to put the LED as a separator between the words?
1: That was a creative decision. Um, and I, I, you know, I just, I didn't have a ton of context about like what guitar pedals looked like. And those are my first pedals we designed. Um, but I thought it might look really interesting to differentiate the, the like, so November has been was like one of our like trios, like a one like category of pedal. That was one of our first ones, and then separating it, the LED to like the the actual pedal name, like and what it did, was like sort of our reason
0: to separate it like that. Oh, I see. Because um, you can you have the November, you have the November gain, the November drive. Yeah, and then you separate it with the with the LED.
1: Yeah, then we have more too on our on the website also octoberaudio.com. dot um, So those are the ones on my website are they're some of our newer ones, but we've got a bunch of new ones coming out. Like a, there's a geranium distortion. We've got phaser, some fuzz ones. So lots of good stuff out there, and I'm, I'm learning each with each one like about guitar pedals and sounds it's really cool (laughs) Mike is a super talented working with them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we I it's like kind of more on like whenever Mike has a new pedal we will discuss and you know I I work full-time so I will do the pedal like outside of work hours or on the weekends but it's super fun for me to still have that kind of creative like fun like get a chance to do something kind of really really different and you know, it's so fun seeing your pedals, like, in YouTube videos and demos, like, I'm like, that's wild to see something that I did, like, on YouTube, (laughs) like, like,
0: (laughs) some of them have, have, like, hundreds of thousands of views,
1: (laughs) that's awesome, so,
0: and I I wouldn't be, I mean, this, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, some, some famous musician picks them up and starts playing them, and then, you know, after that, it's, like, Reddit mayhem, like, everyone's gonna be talking about them, and, and people get really passionate about this i'm i'm part of this uh group on facebook it's the only reason i still use facebook for it's called pedal boards of doom and it's i think it's just like a bunch of guitar dads just like um flexing their pedal boards and talking about how certain capacitors affect the the sound in rainy days it's just super nerdy um but anyway another technical question i see um and this is, I think, find this also interesting from a user uh, experience perspective. Um, these devices are powered by adapters, sometimes batteries, but mostly people will use them with adapters. And if you use the wrong adapter or if you use the wrong voltage, you can, like, best case scenario, kill the pedal. Worst case scenario, produce an uh, uh, an electrical damage uh, at home. So. You, I see that all of the all of the pedals on the face of the pedal have uh, a spe- the specification of what type of adapter you have to put into it, which is pretty standard. But like you know, people who are just getting into into guitar pedals don't know that it's a, that's a very standard thing. Is the nine ball adapter with the negative center and the positive um, outer ring? Was that also like a decision that you made from your research? Or was that something that um, Mike knew and he was like, we, ha- we have to do this?
1: That was a Mike decision um, because I can't remember exactly why he made that decision, but he recommended that we visualize that um, on the pedal itself. And it's it's standard throughout all of the rest of our designs too. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why. like <laughs> Actually, that's like kind of the limits of my knowledge <laughs> with this because it is... Um, I guess it is like the core like circuit science of it, but um, let's see. I'm trying to find it on our. We have like a, on each pedal, we have like a specific like about the circuit itself um, on the website. So I'm sure that there's something on there that will explain.
0: (laughs) Do they ship to Europe?
1: They do. They do. Um, It's really interesting because we have a bunch of customers from all over the world. Like some of our first customers were from like Turkey and Australia and uh, I think we actually had someone ship to the uh, Netherlands recently so it's been super fun so <laughs> exactly so it's super fun um, and again like I have learned so much working with them because again I'm, I've never played a guitar before I mean my partner he's taught me how to play ukulele um, <laughs> that's, there's no pedals involved with ukulele so <laughs> it's super fun though
0: it- what about the photography on the website? Did you did you do those, or did you get a photographer? Yep,
1: yeah, I did the photography on the website. Um, I get to use my Photoshop skills to do the fun little like graphics and stuff like that. Um, but again, not having a lot of experience with like how to take photos of guitar Puddles, I had to get kind of creative with it. And then Mike does a lot of the photography himself now, um, since I don't. I guess, um, I live in, like, a one-bedroom apartment, so <laughs> it's, like, I don't have the best lighting, so he'll do most of the photography now, but I, I had a lot of fun taking photos of them, and I'll do photos of, like, the petals by themselves, where I can just, like, prop it out and stuff like that now.
0: Yeah, like, the macro shots?
1: Exactly, exactly, so he's got tons of, like, other fun, like, backgrounds to put with his, so I'll, i let him do the photography now, <laughs> so.
0: And where, did you, like, research a little bit, um, what other pedals look like, kind of like to get a little bit of inspiration.
1: Exactly. So I really like, I mean, Boss pedals are very classic. There's another really fun brand. Um, Shoot. What's it called? There's like a Delay Llama. I don't know what the brand is called. Delay Llama. It's called. um, Oh, Jam Pedals. They're a super interesting company that does like, handmade, like, hand-painted pedals, and they're all like really, really beautifully done, so it's really fun to look at how they do their designs, and how um, all their names kind of correlate to the sounds, and you know, they do a lot of different, like, custom builds, so it's super fun looking at those pedals.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, the... The graphics on the electro harmonics, especially the new ones,
1: those are cool. Those are super cool.
0: Uh, of course, I love all of the like custom graphic um pedals. Like I've seen a few that have like a, uh, you know, monsters or you know, fairy tale creatures. I think those look really nice. But but I I also like the ones that like mix the styles yeah. of like you know, it's an illustration, but it's also like it mixes with uh, the layouts and the information that you need to read about the pedal.
1: Exactly. So I'm, I'm still experimenting with all of these too, And we get lots of great user feedback about um, the work with Mike. Well, you know, we'll get like plenty of comments or people will directly message. Mike and say, hey, we'd love to see this, this, or this. So we get a ton of good feedback about, you know, what people want to play next, stuff like that. So I love Electric harmonics too. That's a great brand.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And they, they make them not too far. Uh, right. They make them in New York. I don't know exactly. Yep. Yep. Where.
1: I think so. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, this has been, you know, it's amazing for a guitar pedal nerd like me. Um, it's really, really cool. I've never met anyone who actually designed the, um, the looks of, um, of a guitar pedal. And I always wonder, like when I buy one of these things and I'm like, Oh, they look awesome. I mean, I think part of like what what makes them give them like the toy category is that even when you're not using them, like here, like I have a couple here, like when you're not using them, they're still like decoration, like they they're pleasant to look at, um, and and I think that's a, that's an ex a very interesting exercise for a for a designer, especially a designer that's coming from like outside the world of um guitar pedals to like immerse yourself into like all of this stuff and like there's so many manufacturers and so many different models that like it can be even overwhelming like every time you jump into like i don't know if, like if you had to design like the branding for a car like there's so many cars out there that it could be like a um, intimidating task but you just went for it direct to reddit like let me figure this out let's see how this works and you made something that actually looks very very um, unique and that you can say it's bringing something new, um, that you're 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 not just copying, you know, the designs that because, because they could have done that right. Say like let's just do something standard. The important thing is the sound, but it's actually cool to see that what you did with the with the indicators around the knob, um, how that like your experience as a as a product designer um, comes like into life there to like provide that feedback to the user. I think that that's super cool. I really love what you did with them and what you're still doing with them. Um, and it's also great to to talk to people who use Todoist because I feel it's, it's also <laughs> it's, uh, something that I've used for so long that it's interesting to see how other people are, are using it and that you're still using it and probably I shouldn't quit it just yet.
1: Hey, you know, I, I use Notes all the time, so I am all about the simplification of tools too. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, Addy, thanks so much for your time and for like indulging you to me asking you about the pedals and, and all of this stuff. Uh, it's been super cool. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you or, um, for you to design their pedals or just to, um, just to chat about design, what's the best way to contact you?
1: I would say through my website, addyjohnson.com, would be great. I don't really use social media. So. Either that or email. So but there's a little form on my website um that you can contact me with. So I'll get back to you within like twenty four ish hours, hopefully.
0: <laughs> Depending on the day. Exactly. <laughs> All right, there you have it, folks. Um I'm gonna put links to the October audio case study and website and also to Adi's website. And yeah, Adi, thanks so much. Have a and great thank you.
1: Day. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.